Welcome to the Dr. Wayne Dyer Radio Podcast. Discover the wisdom and remarkable insights of Dr. Dyer, world-renowned spiritual teacher and foremost authority on how the power of your mind creates your world. Dr. Dyer, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, thanks. How are you doing? I just got a, just did a yoga good. class. Oh, nice. Uh, with two of my daughters. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I'm uh, always after yoga. I feel great, but I also feel completely exhausted. <laughs> so it's a, well, it's exhausting. It's, like it's a combination of having a lot of energy and just wanting to collapse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doing that, the Bikram will uh, it'll take it out of yeah, you. Yeah, it's just 90 minutes and gets getting up real early and all of that. But I love doing that. That's so, so great. So you've been watching yeah. any of the Olympics? Anyone doing the dire kick? I was just going to say, I just, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I love the Olympics. Uh, Me too. It's, uh, yeah, everything. It's hard to imagine that it was four years already since Beijing. It seems like yesterday, but uh, uh, there's just something about. It. And I always sit there and watch. And I, as I watch uh, people coming to be in a, in a state of friendly competition, um, instead of you know people looking at all the reasons why we don't like each other and uh, the things that divide us, and um, that everybody just comes together and, uh, you know, it's, it's all done peacefully. Everybody loves each other. Uh, they compete, which is fine. And, uh, and then when it's over, you know, everybody congratulates everybody. And it's like the entire planet, all of us, all as one people. It's like a real symbol of oneness. I, I like that, uh, that feeling that the Olympics always brings that, uh, all of these, uh, people f of different persuasions, different religions, different colors, different cultures, um, all coming together um, because we all are breathing the same air and uh, drinking the same water and looking at the same moon and, uh, and the same stars. We're really, uh, it's, it's an awareness of that we're all one. Yeah. I love it's, it. It's I, I look forward to it yeah, every time. And, and I love the stories of the athletes, you know, overcoming the adversity and they do the backstories mm. on everybody. And uh, it kind of leads yeah. me to uh, our special guest today, just to kind of segue from the Olympic athletes right. to overcoming adversity. But um, I just wanted to introduce uh, a guest that we're going to have for the first part of the show. And, and we normally don't have a lot of guests on this show, but he's a, a special friend to you and has just written an amazing book with Hay House. And I'm so glad that he's going to be able to talk to you today, Dr. Terry Gordon. And the book is No Storm Lasts Forever. And I got a chance to talk to Dr. Gordon last week and, and interview him about the book and you know, it really does kind of fit talking about the Olympics and overcoming adversity. And mm. I mean, just his story was so incredible um, that I'm happy that he's going to be able to share it with our listeners here on today's show. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Gordon. Thank you there? You. It's good to be here. Hi, Wayne. Hey, Terry. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, my friend. Love you. Love you, too. It's uh, it's great to have you here with us. Um, uh, uh, Terry Gordon is uh, is a cardiologist. Uh actually a world-renowned cardiologist who has done a, a lot of uh, very powerful, wonderful things towards uh, helping to get these special machines into, uh, sc into schools um, so that young people uh, don't have to die unnecessarily if they have uh, uh, a heart attack or some, some kind of an attack while they're, uh, especially in football and so on. And um, uh, he's a cardiologist in Ohio and was instrumental in in getting one of these machines in every single high school in the state, and now is working diligently um, to get this um, this uh, all over America, so that no young people have to die unnecessarily. And uh, he uh, met me, trained me on this machine, made me put one in our yoga studio. He can maybe tell you a little bit about it. Uh, and uh, I came to uh, uh, his hometown near uh, near Cleveland, Youngstown, Ohio. 
a few years back and did a talk for them and helped raise some money for the kinds of causes that he is involved in. And Terry and I became very, very good friends. And then um, uh, a couple of years ago, well, I'll let him tell the story, um, but his book is... Uh, it's just, it's more than just about overcoming adversity. It's it's really about uh, maintaining your spirit, um, regardless of what comes your way, and even beginning to be uh, in a state of uh, in a state of at least um, acceptance and even beyond even gratitude for uh, the hardships that show up in our life. I, I love this book. I love it so much that I I told him that I would write the forward, and I. I only do that. I did that for Anita's book. I did it for Dan Carroll's book, for Immaculate's book. Uh, so it, it takes a, a very special book for me to decide that I'm going to write the forward to it. And um, I sat down and, and wrote it. And um, I'll be putting a link on my uh, on my website or Facebook page or one of those places out there, Twitters or Twatters or something, uh, and um, giving you an opportunity to see what I wrote about it and maybe to even... Uh, hear a little bit about Terry, but he's a fine speaker, a fine gentleman, and a, and a great doctor, and has been a very, very uh, inspirational man to me. So, Terry, why don't you tell uh, the audience out there um, what happened a couple of years ago in June and, uh, and how it changed your life and, and basically what you have done to, uh, to not let yourself be uh, beaten down by uh, some very, very uh, adverse kinds of situations that all of us pray never happened to us. I'd be happy to, Wayne. About three years ago, um, my daughter, Maddie Rose, came in from Chicago where she was teaching, and, and she came up into my office. And, you know, it's a, a parent's sixth sense when you can just tell something is just not quite right with your child. And there was this sadness dripping from her. And, and she came in, and I said, well, honey, what's up? And she said, you know, Dad, uh, she said, you know, I always thought the older I got, the more control I assumed over my life the easier life would become. And then with this deep sigh, she said, you know, it's just not working that way. And so I pulled her up into my arms and started rocking her as I had for 27 some odd years. And, and I paused for a long moment because I knew what I was about to say to her would be very important. And I said, you know, darling, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. I think if we are to grow, if we are to expand our horizons and, and, and grow toward enlightenment, we must face greater and greater obstacles because it's only by overcoming those obstacles that we get propelled onto that higher path. And, and I quoted her from the Kabbalah, which is the ancient mystical text of Judaism. And it says, the falls of our life provide us the energy to propel us onto the higher path. And I even shared with her, I said, you know, we really should be grateful for the crap that comes our way. And I kissed her on the forehead and left her with that thought. The next morning at 6.40, I received one of the worst phone calls a parent could get. The gray voice on the other end of the line uh, shared with me that our son Tyler, who was living in Durango, Colorado, where he was in school, that he had been involved in a near-fatal car accident and that he had shattered his neck. And then came the dreaded words, your son is quadriplegic. You know, as a parent, you dread... You, you fear that sort of phone call when it comes. You just can't imagine the impact. I had perhaps 20 seconds of denial, and then the physician in me kicked in, and I knew where we were going and what was facing us. And within an hour, I had bolted from the house, and I was speeding up to the Cleveland airport trying to catch uh, an overbooked flight to Denver that would get me there in time 
to uh, see him before he went into emergent surgery. Somehow I got on that flight, and I was seated next to a window, and I was like a caged cat. The, the thoughts were banging inside my head, and they were so painful. And it was like I was inside a tornado, and it was swooshing, and it was loud, and it was cold, and it was wet. And I looked down into the funnel, and it was just blackness, just darkness. And I remember praying deeper and harder than I'd ever prayed before. And I, I remember saying over and over again, I can't do this. I can't do this. And, and gradually, this loud, whooshing darkness gradually began to abate. And as I was being enveloped in this cocoon of white noise, and it became this place of unfathomable peace. And I remember at one point saying, I can't do this. And, and, and I can't honestly tell you I heard the voice of God, but I heard the words when God said, yes, you can. And I said, but how? I don't know how to do that. And God said, well, just yesterday, you shared your truth with your daughter. Just yesterday. You can talk the talk, but now you're going to have to live it. And I asked again, but, but how can I do this? And the most profound thing came to me when God said, treat this as if it was something you had chosen. Now, why would I choose a tragedy such as this? What possible good could come from such a life-altering calamity? And, and why, as a family, are we being asked to endure such, such anguish? This, these were questions that scrolled through my mind. I, I was at a juncture. I could continue on the same chaotic path that I had been on before, or I could begin a new path. And it's, it's what my dear friend Wayne always says. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at changed. And in that nanosecond, I changed the way I looked at this. I looked at this not through resistance, but I looked at it as an opportunity, an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for change, an opportunity for, for peace. And it set me off on a totally different path that I believe has been able, has enabled me to help not only myself, because it was very therapeutic, but also to help my son and to help my wife and to help my daughters. And, you know, when I tell people this, it always raises eyebrows. In many respects, this has been a beautiful experience. I'm reminded of um, uh, Ernest Hemingway, who, who I, and I just saw a film about Ernest Ernest Hemingway and, and Martha Gellhorn. I don't know if you saw it on HBO, called Hemingway and Gellhorn, and um, it just tell, tells the, the tumultuous story of their relationship. And she was a, a journalist and so on. But um, in his book um, Islands in the Stream, which I re read when I was in college, uh, he was uh, he had just found out that his son had been killed in the Spanish Civil War that that he had gone over to volunteer in, and he was. Um, he was at a gathering that night, and he was dancing. And uh, and someone said to him, uh, "I just uh, don't understand how you could actually be out here at this place um, when you, with the news that you just discovered." And he said something that's been very profound. I've quoted it many times in my talks, probably here on the radio as well. Uh, and he said, "I decided in the moment that I got the news that sooner or later." I was going to have to get over this and get on with my life. Sooner or later, I would have to do that or it would kill me. He said, I've just picked sooner. 
And it kind of reminds me of what you just said that um, that you made a conscious decision that you were going to be able you're going to be able to deal with this and and was part of this just sort of to um, to give Tyler a uh, a model of someone who wasn't falling apart because in, inwardly I'm sure I know that he was uh, he didn't want to go on with his life. Well, it's, it's interesting. Along that same vein, the, the first time I ever went home, we, we were in uh, Denver for four months with Tyler and right. Gavin. And the first time that I left Denver, left Tyler to go home, I was at the airport getting ready to take off. And there was this guy in front of me. His name is Jeffrey Blasband. I didn't know him, of course. And he was in a wheelchair. And um, he was paraplegic. And he just had this marvelous personality. He was kidding with the uh, stewardess um, about how he's always been enamored by taller women. And, of course, in his chair, everybody's taller than he is, you know. Mm. And he was laughing, had this brilliant smile. And after he got out of line, I went over um, and walked up to him. And I said, you know, I wish my son could see your smile. And I just broke down in tears. I just couldn't contain myself. So he's he's there consoling me. And he said, well, tell me about Tyler. And I told him about the accident and how active he was and how inactive he is now, and Jeffrey was just kind of shaking his head, like, yeah, I know. And then when, when I stopped talking, he said, you know, I, I was shot in the back when I was 19, and I knew right away that I was going to be paralyzed for life. And I'm not going to tell you the first couple of years were great. They weren't. They were pure hell. And then he said the most simple thing, yet the most profound thing. But he said, but you know, at some point, Tyler's just going to have to get over it. Mm. And it's, it's kind of what you, you just described, Wayne, slightly differently. But, right. you know, at some point, at, at some exact moment in time, Tyler will make the decision to get over it. And it may take two months. It may take two years. It may take mm. 20. It may never happen in this lifetime. But this is also relevant, not just for people who have to deal with the tragic circumstances such as uh, as, as you and, and, and your family have had to go through with this accident. But it's true with everything. I mean, everybody out there. I mean, I, um, you're a cardiologist. I mean, uh, how many people you've told me? How many times have you told me about uh, watching people, uh, you know, crossing over, uh, you know, and dealing with, uh, the, you know, with, with the finding out that they have heart disease, finding out that they that they're not going to live very much longer. I, I I got a diagnosis of leukemia a couple of years ago. Um, and the first 30 minutes or so, I was in that same state that you were in. Um, and then I just—it just hit me that, uh, you know, sooner or later I'm going to have to deal with this. I'm going to have to deal with it from a place of, uh, of strength, uh, which is going to strengthen my immune system, which is going to make me a stronger person, not just spiritually and mentally, but it's going to make me a, a physically a stronger person as well. Because uh, if we don't, if we don't go within and find that strength within ourselves. Um, to handle any of the cir circumstances that are thrown at us uh, in life, um, it can take us down physically. I mean, you you know this as well as anyone as a, as a physician, as a, as a medical doctor. Well, it's interesting because right in the midst of all this, um, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Yes, I know. And, you know, I felt like a little boy that had been caught with his hand in the cookie jar because I had let this negative energy filter into the deepest recesses. And there's no doubt in my mind that that, if it didn't cause it, it certainly exacerbated those mm -hmm. cells to become aberrant and become cancerous. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So you're, you're right. It's, uh, it's important to rise above that. Well, this is, the, this is one of the reasons why I wanted you to, to write a book, because originally, um, um, and, and so many people who, who go through these kinds of circumstances will write a book about it, um, and very often they will sort of detail the whole, um, the whole experience and at the end say, well, you know, I, I'm, uh, I found out what the lesson was and so on. But uh, your book is very, very different. Um, every single chapter is, is like a unique story unto itself about your, um, your journey as you were going through. The, it was almost like uh, your journey of awakening um, and, um, and, and beginning to see, you know, um, the, uh, the glory, the positive, the joy that, uh, that is present in, in virtually everything. Share a bit about that with us. And, and, and when, you, when you decided to write this book and, um, and, and how, you, uh, how you approached it, because um, it's, uh, it's one of the most beautiful books I've, 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 I've ever read. I, I, I really I, I love this book. I love it very much uh, to the point where, as I said, I, I asked you if it would be all right if I wrote the forward to it. Because I think it's got a very, very significant message. Not for, I mean, you don't have to be um, in, in a family someplace where you're dealing with this kind of a, a tragic circumstance. This is a book that I think, as you read it, um, people will realize that uh, you know you can find joy in a uh, in a rainy day, or you can find it in a little old lady walking up a hill, uh, and some of the stories that you tell. And and it's almost as if you had. Um, you, were, you had some kind of divine guidance or something there with you as uh, you'd have these little awakenings and then you'd write about it and it was it was just very beautiful the way you did it. Well, it was your fault that I wrote the book, first of all, hmm. because the day after the accident, uh, you and I were talking on the phone and, and of course, I was just uh, a basket case. And you suggested that I journal. Now, I had hmm. never done that before. I've never kept a diary. I've never, never done that before. And... But it turned out to be the vehicle of my delivery from this abyss. Uh, mm. When the accident first happened, I initially found it extremely difficult to talk about. I, I needed the time in order to allow the experience to be absorbed into the deepest recesses of my soul. Mm. And it was there that I pondered it over and over again. And it, it was in that silent space that I began my search for meaning. Journaling allowed me to distill my ideas down to the most elemental level and then to expand on them, exploring places I'd never before recognized. And it was only by writing down the words and then revisiting them that I was, being, I was able to, to take off tangentially into um, a place that, that then gave me incredible clarity in the midst of the chaos. Mm. And it was very therapeutic for me. It was. And, and when I first shared it with a few of my closest friends, they said, you know, Terry, you've you got to share this. And, and it's, it's really not a book about a kid who is quadriplegic. It's, it's a, a, about anyone who experiences loss. And it's all relative. It could be the loss of a spouse. It could be the loss of a relationship. It could be the loss of your portfolio or loss of the job. You know, it's, it's the fear that that's generated, um, that's created from that loss. So it's, it's a universal message. And uh, it's How do you relate it to the, um, to, you know, when the whole country is like in a state of mourning right now over, uh, you know, the outrageous events that took place in Aurora, Colorado, uh, you know, a week or so ago. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I, and I think about, because I was just kind of looking through what you had written in there, and I think, uh, you know, it's like, there's something to be there's something to be said about the that you know the the kind of storms that you're talking about in in your life are one thing but the kind of storms that we face as a people uh as a society as a culture as a planet um i think are going to require us to do some of the uh, emotional heavy lifting that you are, that you talk about in the in this book did you relate it to that when you when you heard this news and, Absolutely. and you know I mean I I know you're a guy who's who's worked on on broken hearts uh, a long time. Um, um, did, did you relate to it that when that uh, when you heard that news? I've actually thought about this for a number of years, Wayne, and mm. and it first hit me back in uh, 2007, I think it was. I stopped in at a local restaurant, and I smiled as I watched father helping his four-year-old son open his Happy Meal, okay? And th that made me reminisce back to a time when Tyler and I, when he was much younger, would go out on weekends on what we referred to as men's club. But as his father was unwrapping his son's meal and toy, I realized the youngster was distracted. He was mesmerized by what was on the big screen TV in the dining area of the restaurant. CNN was showing the vivid images of bloodied, dead students being carried from Virginia Tech classrooms. And as I watched this little kid with this look of horror on his innocent face, and I watched his reaction to the video that this uh, Cho, I think was his name, sent this raging diatribe of threats and demented explanations of why mm -hmm. he felt he had to commit this. The irony struck me that this was anything but a happy meal. And the mm -hmm. tragic truth is that in today's world, very few of us enjoy a happy meal, or a happy day for that matter. And as I witnessed this child losing his innocence, it became painfully apparent that we as a world society have lost much, and that's primarily the balance, the loss of balance in our lives. You know, we've evolved to a point where we thrive, we seemingly thrive on the misfortunes of others. And maybe that makes us feel better, more secure, that nothing like this has happened to us, but guess what? It just happened again. And, and I truly believe what we expose our souls to dictates who we're going to become. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as you say, as you think, so shall you be. So if you're watching this, the news that's on now 24-7 showing these horrific mm -hmm. crimes against humanity, and, you know, I'm just so tired of the Kaylee Anthony updates and the daily bombings. And mm -hmm. if you, you think about what we expose ourselves to, the negative energy that we expose ourselves to, so... The long-winded answer to your, your comment is we need to refocus on the beauty. And, and, and that's kind of what I've suggested in the book. You know, it, 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 the, the, the beauty lies right alongside the ugliness. It's, you know, yeah. the non-duality that Lao Tzu talks about. Right. The, how, the title of your book is that no storm lasts forever. And that, uh, you know, the planet is, 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 is um, in, in, in the midst of a storm. Um, I remember when I had my, uh, I had a minor heart attack back in the year 2000 and had a stent placed in there. And, uh, um, and I got a, a letter from my guru in India, Guruji, and he sent me one line. He said, uh, he said, dear Wayne, the sun is always shining behind the clouds. You know, that is, you know, these, whatever is cloudy going on in your life, it will, it will dissolve. It will dissipate. Uh, and you just have to stay with it. And this is the message that I always send to Tyler. And 
And I'm going to keep you on. We're going to go. We're going to go for a break just shortly. But I um, and I want to keep you on and just you know for maybe another five or ten minutes. So if you're holding on the line, we're going to take calls. But I just want you to speak a little bit, Terry, about um, about the heart, about the energy of the heart, and the and the uh, and, and I saw you do an interview not too long ago where you talked about uh, every vibration of the heart is uh, is uh, is something that goes out uh, into infinity. And that the heart, heart is really the center of, of our world. It's not our brains as much as we think that. So if you just talk to us a little bit as a cardiologist uh, about the spiritual implications of our heart, we'll be back uh, in just a few moments. Hang on. And we'll be right back with more of Dr. Wayne Dyer and a special guest today, Dr. Terry Gordon. Master the art of manifestation. Welcome to Wishes Fulfilled with Dr. Wayne Dyer. And we're back with Dr. Wayne Dyer and a special guest today, Dr. Terry Gordon, the author of a new book out with Hay House, No Storm Lasts Forever, Transforming Suffering into Insight. And Dr. Gordon has said that he would love to stay and chat with the callers along with you, Dr. Dyer. And we've got some really great people up here waiting patiently, so I thought we could just jump right to calls and, and let you talk. So okay. let us. Well, let me just take let me just take one minute. And, oh, sure. Because I, I had said something about the heart. I want or two minutes. I want Terry to to speak about this uh, this thing that uh, goes thump 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 inside every single person who's on the line, uh, their chest. Um, uh, there's some there's something. The, the, you know, the heart. We always when I I always ask an audience. You know, I'll ask everyone in the audience point to yourself. You know, and then I look at the audience and every single person is pointing to their heart. Not one person points to their brain um, so that the heart is really who we are. And it actually is, a, you know, a, an instrument that receives um, our, uh, our energy signals, which allow us to think before the brain even does. Is that right, Terry? It is. One of the most defining. Now, mind you, I've always wanted to be a cardiologist, but one of the most defining moments in my life occurred while I was in the operating room during an open-heart procedure. And as I cradled this patient's beating heart in my hands, I could actually feel the pulsation of each contraction as it propelled enriching, life-sustaining blood throughout his body. And I was in utter amazement at how that organ knew when to beat. I marveled at the energy it must take to drive that heart day after day, year after year, decade after decade. But somehow that heart possessed an understanding of nature, knowledge of the universe conveying with each beat its connection with the source of all creation. And I, and I was actually mesmerized by the thump, 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 thump. Mm. Um, there was a great book written by um, Gary Schwartz called The Afterlife Experience, uh, Experiments. And in it, he connected two people. Both of them had an EKG, which is the heart exam. And the other had an EEG, electroencephalogram. And what he was trying to prove and did was that the EKG from one patient registered on the EEG, the brain wave, of another. And it, it, that was, to me, very exciting data because it, it demonstrated the interconnectivity between individuals. And as Wayne mentioned, the, the heart generates this electrical impulse. This electro, it's the strongest electromotive impulse in the body. And each beat of every heartbeat, every person's heartbeat, every animal's heartbeat, every heartbeat um, generates a, a unique um, reading, if you will, 
of their electrocardiogram. And, and the way we do that is we put leads on the heart, on the chest, I mean, on the arms and the legs. And each time this electromotive impulse emanates from the heart, it passes through the body at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. And it zips down and it's picked up by the lead on the leg and the arm. And although I've read 30,000 EKGs, I never contemplated this until after I retired from the practice. What happens to that impulse when it reaches the leg and that lead? Does it hit a lead barrier and bump stops? The answer is no. It continues on and on and on out into the universe at 186,000 miles per second. Now, that means that after one minute, your heartbeat is 11 million miles away from its beacon point. And every impulse emanating from each and every heartbeat becomes as much a part of the cosmos as the most powerful photons ever emitted from the largest stars. Some of those stars died millions and millions of years ago, but their essence continues as the twinkling light we observe as their energy traverses through the universe heading in our direction. Now, granted, the impulse from our heart is not nearly as strong as that of a star, but the heart's voice, soft as it may be, travels in the very same vacuum of space forever. And it's like that movie, My Heart Will Go On and On. We are out there forever and ever. Everything that we do is out there forever. And everything that we say, even everything we think, is out into the universe. So we must be very Absolutely. cautious about what we do, what we say. What yeah. we and thoughts of fear and thoughts of worry and, and thoughts of stress and thoughts of this shouldn't have happened to me. Uh, there's, there's somehow an awareness, and in, in, in when you get back and see it from a bigger picture, that um, that there's no accidents. Tyler didn't have an accident. This is just part of Tyler's dharma, and it's all, you know everything that comes into our life uh, is something that we can either you know move on and grow from and, and help other people to uh, improve the quality of their life, or we can sit around and fold up and go into a fetal position and um, and and have our heartbeat stop and have our infinite energy stop as well. So okay. there's something very very profound in all of this. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for that. To find out more about Dr. Wayne Dyer or any other Hay House author, please visit hayhouse.com. Thank you for listening.